I find it surprising more people are not killed over dinner at home. In my work, we reckon that murder is most likely to happen among close acquaintances. Someone will finally snap after years of being wound up to blind rage by the very folk who best know how to drive them to distraction. For once, it'll be just too much to watch someone else eating the last sesame pancake, which, of course, was snatched with a triumphant laugh that was intended to rankle. So, a victim expires with honey still dribbling down their chin. Though it happens less often than you might expect. Why are more kitchen cleavers not sunk between the fat shoulders of appalling uncles who get the slaves pregnant? Or that sneaky sister who shamelessly grabs the most desirable bedroom, with its glimpse of a corner of the Temple of Divine Claudius, and almost no cracks in the walls? Or the crude son who farts uncontrollably? however many times he's told. Even if people do not stab or strangle their own, you would expect more to rush out into the streets and vent their frustration upon the first person they meet. Perhaps they do. Perhaps even the random killing of strangers, which the vigilés call a motiveless crime, sometimes has an understandable domestic cause. It could so easily have happened to us. I grew up in a large family crammed into a couple of small, sour rooms. All around our apartment were other teeming groups, too noisy, too obstreperous, and all packed together far too close. Perhaps the thing that saved us from tragedy was that my father left home. His only escape from a situation he'd come to find hideous, and an event which at least saved us from the burden of more children. Later, my brother took himself off to the army. Eventually, I saw the sense of it and did the same. My sisters moved out to harass the feckless men they bullied into marriage. My mother, having brought up seven, was left alone but continued to have a strong influence on all of us. Even my father, once he returned to Rome, viewed Ma with wary respect. As she continually reminded us, mothers can never retire. So, when my wife went into labour with our third child, in came Ma to boss everyone about even though she was becoming frail and had eyesight problems. Helena's own mamma rushed to our house too, the noble Julia Juster rolling up her sleeves to interfere in her genteel way. We'd employed a perfectly decent midwife. At first the mothers battled for dominance. In the end, when they were both badly needed, all that stopped. My new son died on the day he was born. At once we felt we were living in a tragedy that was unique to us. I suppose that is how it always seems. The birth had been easy, a short labour like our second daughter's. Favonia had taken a week to seize upon existence, but then she thrived. I thought the same would happen. But when this baby emerged, he was already fading. He never responded to us. He slipped away within hours. The midwife said a mother should hold a dead baby. Afterwards, she and Julia Juster had to wrestle to make Helena give up the body again. Helena went into deep shock. Women cleaned up as they do. Helena Justina stayed in the bedroom, refusing comfort, ignoring food, declining to see her daughters, even distant with me. My sister Maya said this day would be black in Helena's calendar for the rest of her life. Maya knew what it was to lose a child.